Well, one of the things that we continually see as we look at Jesus' teaching and you read through his ministry on earth, you realize that Jesus often used cultural references, things that people would have understood in their context, to teach about deeper kingdom truths. And so he would connect with people on things that they would understand, and then he would take it in a different direction or go deeper with it and help them to understand more fully what the kingdom of God is like. And the the scripture text we're going to look at today is one of those where he takes something that is understood in one way to the people at that time, and he teaches them about the kingdom. And one of the key verses is this one. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. It's interesting. What's this about? What's the cultural obligation that is there? And what is it that Jesus is teaching? And we want to Look at that today. We're in this Advent series talking about the generosity of God. And the series is called More Than Expected. And this idea that God is a God who gives generously in ways that we don't even fully expect, I think don't fully appreciate. That God is a God who gives extravagantly, who gives more than expected over and over again. And no place is that seen more powerfully than in that well-known scripture verse that so many people around the world would know, but I believe don't fully understand. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, this, to me, captures not only the Christmas story, but the generosity and the extravagance of God, a God who gives more than expected continuously. Through this series, we've had three responses so far as we've been looking at how do we respond to the generosity of God. And so over the last few weeks, we've had the response of of waiting longer that uh, Pastor Kevin began this series with, that we are called to wait longer. Uh, The week after that, to create better. Uh, Last week, we we looked at the idea of giving more and how do we give uh, in response to God. And this week, as we we think about serving passionately, I want to use this phrase of going further which is another way of kind of articulating and thinking about how we serve passionately. And we'll, we'll get to that as we come to this story that we're going to look at here that Jesus teaches from. But let's return uh, just for a minute to this metaphor of carrying gear and that, that verse that I read that we're going to focus on, on here today about carrying it a little bit further. Many of you know that uh, I've, I've shared over the years about being involved on uh, hiking the West Coast Trail at different times. And... Uh, It's a beautiful 75-kilometer hike along the southwest coast of Vancouver Island, and uh, it's some of the most stunning scenery that you'll see. It's a six-day typical journey, and uh, I remember one year leading a team, and we were on our sixth and final day, and we were heading out that day, and we all we had left was the last five kilometers, which on the south end is probably the hardest five kilometers of the trip, and uh, it's very... uh, a lot of elevation change, very treacherous, you're tired, it's six days in if you're going in that direction, and so it's a, it's a pretty arduous last uh, few hours, and it takes quite a few hours to do five kilometers. So our team was excited, we were heading out, and as we were walking that day, we actually came up against or came, uh, and you often interact with people and you run into people, and we, we came to a German couple who was in front of us, and they were going in the same direction as us. And we thought, well, that's interesting, and, and it was odd for a few different reasons that we kind of noticed. First of all, we realized that we actually hadn't seen them before in the previous six days. And normally, if you're traveling in the same direction, you kind of interact with each other, and you 
camp at some similar spots, and you get to know some of the people that are going in the same direction as you, and we just hadn't seen them before. They were kind of strangers to us. The second thing that was odd is we caught up to the woman, and she was a little bit further behind. He was further ahead, was we noticed that she actually wasn't carrying a pack. She was just walking in her clothes and in her boots, and they were actually quite clean. And then the other odd thing that we noticed was that as we walked past her, because she was walking pretty tentatively and really carefully, and and kind of all she had was her water bottle, and she was just sort of watching every step, so we all kind of walked past her, we, we noticed that she actually smelled really good. Now, if you've been on the trail for six days and you pass people, you don't notice when they smell really bad, because everybody smells bad. But you really notice when somebody smells good. And so we thought, okay, that is really odd. And so we continued on, and then eventually we caught up to her mate, I assume her husband, who was in front of her, and he was a little bit further on. And I noticed a couple of things about him really quickly, too. First of all, he was really big. He was barrel-chested. He had huge arms. And I remember his calves, like on the back of his legs. It's like they were exploding out of his boots. Like, this guy was massive. The other thing I noticed about him is he was carrying two packs. Not so unlike these here in front of us. He had one over his right shoulder and one over his left shoulder. And he was pounding out this trail with two packs, fully loaded, and he didn't seem to be having a problem. Third thing we noticed is that he was really angry. He was not in a good mood. Now, I don't remember if we actually stopped and talked to the couple. It was quite a few years ago. Or if we just picked up on all the nonverbal cues that were going on in that moment. But here was this wonderful, nice German couple who had come all the way over from Europe to do this world-famous hike, had all their hopes up, and we're going to go into this trip and do this thing together, and they realized just a few hours into their hike that there was no way that she could do this. There was no way that she could carry a pack on her own for six days with all that was in front of her and the weather that was coming and all that kind of stuff. So they had actually turned around and were heading back out the way they came that morning. Interesting story. Now, not quite the same as what Jesus is teaching about and painting in this picture of carrying a pack for an extra mile. But I think that there are some similarities. Uh, Not the attitude of this angry German man. I mean, I think that's partly what Jesus is teaching, is the attitude of our heart. But Jesus says here, he says, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Commentators note that Roman soldiers, they had the legal right to actually ask, not ask, require people in occupied territories, such as the Jews were at this time and in this place, to assist the Roman military at any time. And so if you think about and remember the story of Simon of Cyrene when Jesus was walking to the cross and the Roman soldiers asked this man, no, demanded this man, and they had him carry Jesus' cross, it was similar to that, where you could actually require somebody in occupied territory to do that. And the custom of the day and the understanding of the day was the cultural obligation was that Jewish people were required to carry a soldier's pack or a soldier's gear a certain amount of steps, which is about the equivalent of a mile. And so Jesus understands this, and the people that he's talking to, they all understand this social custom, which really reflects the oppression of the Roman government and how they are occupied people and how they have this obligation to now help those who are oppressing them. And so Jesus says to them, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear from I'll carry it too. And the point he's making is that the first mile is obligation and the second mile is freedom. 
And he's teaching them something really important about the kingdom of God, that you can show yourself as a generous, dignified, strong, self-controlled person who is not dominated even by a corrupt system, but that you can go further. You know, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, which this part of Matthew is referred to, is often called the antithesis. Because in this section, you see six different places where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he takes Old Testament teaching, Old Testament understandings, Old Testament principles, and now he talks about the fulfillment of them in this new covenant. And so it's called the antithesis. Jesus takes what has been said and what these people would have understood, and now he takes it to a whole new level. And he says, this is what you've understood in Old Testament times, but now... This is the new covenant teaching. This is what love requires of you as new covenant people. So he begins and he says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. One of the places that that's articulated in the Old Testament is in Exodus 21, where he's quoting from, and it says that the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. That was the teaching that these People understood. Seems fair, right? Like, if something happens to you, you can do the same in return. And in that era, it made sense. You do to others what they did to you. Whatever whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind, as it says in Leviticus 24. You grow up as a kid and you grow up in a family of siblings, you know this intuitively. Your brother punches you, you punch him back. Your sister breaks your toy, you break her toy. I mean, that's just the way it sort of seems to work, and it feels fair, and that's sort of what was understood there this time, and people lived in this way. And yet Jesus says, this is a a new covenant. This is a new time. This is a new era. I want to bring the fulfillment of this before you today. A new way to serve people, to love people, even when they hurt you deeply. Actually, we see the seeds of this even in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So if you remember, Matthew 22, the great commandment, one that we talk about a lot because it's so important for us to understand this great commandment that Jesus has articulated when he was asked by a religious leader, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And what does Jesus do? He takes two Old Testament teachings and understandings that people would have known and understood, and he puts them together for the very first time. So he takes Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is what is known as the Shema, which would have been a Jewish morning and evening prayer that people would have recited every single day, multiple times a day. And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then Jesus adds, and with all your mind. And then he takes that Deuteronomy 6 teaching and he combines it with this Leviticus 19 and he says, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says the most remarkable summary and he says all of the law and all of the demands of the prophets hang on these two things. And so when he's asked what is the greatest commandment, he takes these Old Testament teachings, he puts them together and he makes something new. And he says, this is the greatest commandment. And he says, the way that you love God is actually by loving your fellow brother and sister extravagantly. And loving them in ways that 
go further. Serving them in ways that don't make sense. Forgiving them at times when it also doesn't make sense. The context that Jesus is teaching in this Matthew 28 passage, verse, starting in verse 38, is about revenge. And we know that revenge has an interesting power and pull that comes into our lives at different times. It's an interesting thing. It's a powerful force. It's something that stirs up within when injustice is done and something happens to us or is done to us that just isn't right. And we want revenge. We might not say it that way, but inherently within our heart, within our soul, there's something going on that is drawing us in in that direction because we want justice. But what Jesus is teaching is that revenge is absolutely the antithesis of serving and of loving others. And so we have this sense of appropriate and justifiable relations between each other, this idea of equal retribution that what you do to me, I do to you, and so on and so forth. But we also know that that kind of mentality in that old covenant teaching, as you extrapolate that out over time, it spirals down and down and down to a worse kind of evil and depravity and brokenness. And so how do we break that? As parents, we teach our kids to go in a different direction when they do this equal retribution thing and they seek their own revenge. We say, no, there's a different way. As adults, we have to learn it in all kinds of ways in our ongoing relationships, in our workplaces. As groups of people, especially oppressed groups of people, we need to sometimes think differently about how we respond to certain things. And people all over the world are struggling with that when they are living in oppression and evil places. And so we need to find ways to break that, to go in a different way. And that's what Jesus is teaching here about revenge. I'll never forget the night on March. It was in March of 2012. And I was sitting in a very primitive church building that was very dimly lit. You could hardly see the other people in the room. And it was in the remote uh, village in Panama called Plataneras. And there was 30 Waunan men in that room, plus myself, Aner Zulaga, our missionary who was at that time down there on his own, um, and John Gertz. John Gertz is a missionary who's been in that part of the world for many years, and he speaks the language, knows the culture, and he was there translating and also just helping and engage. And we had gone to this village as simply a pastoral visit to just care for these people because they were grieving deeply, because just prior to that, their village chief, or their leader, his name was Achillo, was murdered. And he was murdered by the illegal loggers who were in that area and who were taking out their trees illegally, and there was this conflict that had been ongoing for years And so these people were grieving and struggling with what to do. And so we had gone the many hours of boat ride and gone to this village and sat with these people and started to listen to their story. And I remember them unpacking the story of what happened, the details of what happened, and then they started to say, you know, I think some nice Christian things about how they were processing this. And then one young man actually kind of blurted out after we had been quite a while into the conversation. And it was translated to me in this way. He said, The only thing we want is revenge. And he was finally being honest. And I don't know if he represented the whole room, but I know he represented many people in the room. And he he said, the only thing that is stirring within us is anger and we want revenge. And that led to a whole 
long conversation well into the night about what does the gospel require of us? What does it mean what Jesus has done? How do we respond in this kind of way? How do we respond when things that are so unjust and so hurtful and so wrong are done, are done to you? And how do you live in a different way? And it was a powerful evening together with those men. Jesus calls us to go further. Jesus calls us to do more than expected. To go the other way from our internal impulse that wants to just do this equal retribution. And Jesus steps into this legal history that was there at this time that was not only understood and expected, but it was actually required that you would give this kind of retribution, this kind of revenge. And he reveals another way to go further in a different direction. It's a better way. It's a kingdom way. Instead of revenge, it's grace and love and forgiveness and serving others by going further than they would expect. And so here in this text, Jesus gives the answer for revenge. And he says, you have heard the law that says punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. And if you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. And if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So here in this short section, he gives these short, powerful examples on teaching on revenge about what a radical kingdom call looks like as New Covenant people. How do you treat people who treat you badly when all that is within you wants revenge? And Jesus says you go further. You go in directions and ways that are unexpected. When someone strikes you on the right cheek, likely a right-handed person, which in that culture and context would have been understood to be a backhanded smack on the right cheek, which would be done by somebody superior to somebody inferior. You could strike back, or you could sulk away, or you could do something courageous and dignified and strong. He says you can turn the other cheek towards him as well. And now you require him to strike you with a fist as someone who is equal and show the aggressor the violent person that they are. Similarly, Jesus says, if someone asks or requires your shirt, give them a coat as well. And traditionally, men would wear a shirt or an undergarment, and they would also wear a coat or an outer garment. And so he's saying if in court or in some instance you are required to give your shirt, then why don't you go further and actually give your coat as well? You might stand there in your at least partial nakedness, and it might be a bit of a spectacle, but you at least reveal the greed of the other person for what it is. Or if a Roman soldier forces you to carry gear only one mile, he says, go two. Again, the first one is obligation. The second one is freedom. Here's how you overcome a corrupt system with generosity in the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom of overwhelming grace. And Jesus is teaching us how to respond with creativity and in ways that are powerful and strong. Serving others extravagantly. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow, he says. And we're called to live and give freely without question to whomever seeks assistance. It's a radical calling back then and also even today as we read those words and we ask all kinds of questions. Well, what about this? Or, or what about that? Or how do we respond in this context? 
And we can come up with all kinds of rationale, but Jesus is saying the kingdom of God calls us to live differently and go in a different direction. It's a new era. It's a new covenant. These are different words because this is a different kingdom. The old covenant law required, as I said, this retribution. It wasn't an option, and yet Jesus' posture is just the opposite. Away from conflict towards empathy. Away from confrontation toward cooperation. Away from dogmatic monologue toward a dialogue of equals. You go into the teachings of Paul as he writes to the churches, he picks up on the very same thing. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 12. Let me just summarize a few things at the last part of Romans chapter 12. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And so Paul, too, he picks up on this same teaching and what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5. And he says there's a different way. You know, some of the best aspects of our denomination, our Mennonite Brethren denomination that this church is part of, has done this so well at times. At times, not so well, but there are so many stories and history where this has been done so well. Not withdrawal or silence or inactivity, nor simply just being weak and submissive, but courageous, creative, sacrificial examples of going further. Of being active peacemakers because the kingdom call that Jesus teaches and calls us to. And the thing that we have to see in this is that it's not weak. It's actually incredibly powerful. It's the only thing that will break the back of evil. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote extensively about this. He lived this with his life. And he was a German theologian and somebody who was imprisoned and eventually killed as he spoke out against Hitler and that regime. And he said this. He said, evil evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object, no resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not a match. And so he's not advocating passivity, but active generosity. Go further, creatively, courageously, sacrificially. He's advocating a generosity that deconstructs the system because of the presence of the kingdom and because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And so as we think about the Christmas story and we think about all the different ways that God could have responded to rebellious people who rejected him and went their own way. God came himself. He went further. He served passionately. He served sacrificially. And in 1 Peter, we see a couple of texts that I think capture this so well, where the apostle Peter, who was with Jesus all these years, and he He spent time with Jesus. He observed it. He watched it. He saw what Jesus did. He saw Jesus die on the cross and then rise from the grave. So he witnessed it with his life and it changed him forever. And Peter describes it this way as he's speaking. And in the context in 1 Peter, he's actually speaking to slaves. And slaves would know oppression. Slaves would know evil. They would understand what it means to have difficulty in treating the other people well, especially the oppressors. And Peter says this, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. 
He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. This was Jesus' example. This was God's response to a rebellious people who rejected him. And so the invitation for us to a God who does more than expected is to respond in kind. How will we serve passionately? How will we go further? And the question I want to leave you with today is, what will be your second mile? What will be your second mile of freedom in responding to others, especially those who are so hard to love and to respond appropriately to? That God might stir within your heart a response that honors Him and reflects what He has done. Why don't we stand together? I want to invite the worship team up and just conclude in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a God of extravagant love, and you have modeled this, Lord Jesus, in ways that we, we just confess we don't fully understand. Even though we, for many of us, we know this Christmas story, and we know that this Christmas story is beginning with the end in mind of the birth of a baby who eventually grew up and was nailed to a cross, was buried in a tomb, and who rose again. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to more fully understand and appreciate and embrace this story. And, God, that we might live out of it in ways that are more than expected. And so today, Lord, would you reveal to us by your Holy Spirit just how you're calling us to serve passionately. Where is it that you're calling us to go further? What is the second mile that we're supposed to see? And, God, I pray that you would help us to experience the freedom that's found in that. That we're not constricted anymore or wrapped up in revenge and the thoughts that we want retribution, but that we leave that to you and we find freedom. Lord, thank you that you went the second mile. Help us to live in a similar way and do the same. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.